Do you all know the term prepper? You know what a prepper is? A prepper is one of those people that is very concerned about some impending catastrophe that's coming. When I was, when I was growing up, when I was a kid, uh, preppers were concerned about nuclear Armageddon. And so the, the really crazy ones would move far away from cities. They wouldn't be caught dead in a city. I, I, I remember actually... Um, I remember actually living in Washington, D.C. and meeting with a pastor. Now, I don't think he was a prepper, but he was a pastor out in the suburbs. And uh, this is post 9-11. And, and uh, he, had, he had driven in uh, to meet with me. And he said, man, how do, you, how do you deal with this? How do you live in the city? I, I feel like I'm just walking around with a bullseye on my back, like a target, like at any moment. I was like, oh, no, actually, I, I just kind of walk around this in my neighborhood. I don't really think about it. But, but that's that mentality, right, of, of the prepper. Really concerned that, that something bad is coming. And they need to be prepared. Um, they often move to Idaho <laughs> these days. Now, we think of preppers maybe as being a little off balance, a little kooky, maybe you've got preppers in your family, maybe you are a prepper, maybe I should confess that indeed we have a stash of life straws in our garage, we've, we've got a big barrel, we're prepared for when that big earthquake comes, we're gonna have clean water, and we got a whole bunch of batteries. I don't know what else we got, but we got at least that much. We, we, we think of preppers as a... Uh, as, a, as a little unstable maybe, or a little like off balance. And yet here's the thing, boy, when that big event finally hits, we're not gonna think they were crazy. We're gonna think they were wise because <laughs> they're prepared. In fact, this is the way we always approach events that are are certain that maybe maybe even inevitable. We know they're coming, but they're indeterminate. We don't know when they're coming. I, I mean, think about the expectant mom, right? The expectant mom does not pack her go bag for the hospital the day before her due date. No, because she knows, mm, yeah, I got a due date, but that baby could come anytime. And so that bag is packed probably a couple of months in advance. Or, or you think about retirement, right? We, we all know that retirement for each of us is coming. We don't know exactly when that moment's gonna be. But, but we would say that the person that starts saving for retirement, like in their 50s, they finally start putting money away in an IRA or 401k, and that, that person is not gonna be ready. Right? The wise person is the prepared person for retirement who, who starts actually maybe stocking a little bit away in their 20s. When something is inevitable but indeterminate, wisdom means we prepare for it. We get ready for it. Are you ready for the end. When the Bible talks about the end, when the Bible talks about judgment day, 
we, we, we kind of want it to tell us when it's going to happen. Is it next week? Is it next month? Is it 100 years from now? We'd like to know when it's coming so we can be prepared. But, but instead, actually, the Bible says, no, no, I'm not going to tell you when. Scripture doesn't tell us when the end is coming. Instead, it, it, it talks to us about how the end is going to come. We, we want to know how long, Lord, until you're coming back. Scripture instead answers with, mm, here's how to be ready for when Jesus comes back. Now, now we often think in Christian circles about being prepared to die. But I think that's actually the wrong way to think about it. We all know death is coming. So far, the death rate is 100%. It's going to happen. It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to me. It's coming, and, and there's not actually a lot you can do to prepare for it. What if death isn't what we need to prepare for? What if it's the day after death that we need to be ready for? We've come to the end of our study in Daniel. Who's in charge around here? And what Daniel has seen from beginning to end is that it is God. The, the Lord God is in charge. He is in heaven directing events to the ends that he wants to direct them. And here, towards the end of the book of Daniel, Daniel has been given vision after vision after vision about the end. And, and what, what Daniel wants to know is, when's it going to happen? As we're, we're going to see this morning in our final passage, even the angels want to know, when's it going to happen? But the question that our text presses on us is not, when's it going to happen? The question is, are you prepared? Are, are you living now wisely as someone who is prepared for the inevitable but indeterminate future? Not the day of your death, but the day after. Turn with me, if you would, to Daniel 12. Daniel chapter 12. If you're using one of the Bibles we provided, this is found on page 795. 795. Daniel chapter 12. It's just 13 verses. We're going to look at all of it today. Let me just remind you where we are. This is the conclusion of a vision that began all the way back in Daniel chapter 10. And as we saw last week, as, as this vision kind of opens on Daniel, like he's discouraged. It's the third year of King Cyrus. The, the exiles have already returned to Jerusalem, but it's, it's going badly. It turns out that getting home from Babylon is harder and is going to take longer than they thought. Now, we, we saw last week that in the midst of that discouragement and despite a lot of intense suffering that's going to come their way actually for centuries longer. Nevertheless, God promised that he would rescue them. 
Now we come to the conclusion of the vision here as we get to Daniel chapter 12. And in the conclusion of the vision, we get a new detail. We learn something new about this rescue that God promised there at the end of chapter 11. And the new, de- the new detail is this. Rescue for God's people means resurrection from the dead. It means resurrection from the dead. Now, Daniel, true to form, the way he's been all the way through this book, he kind of wants to know, like, when? When's it going to happen? And Daniel's not told. He's not told when. He's told how. Here's, Here's kind of the argument of this chapter. We'll put it on the screen, I think. All will rise, but only the wise will shine. All will rise, but only the wise will shine. You see, it turns out the question is not whether you're prepared to die. The question is whether you're prepared to be resurrected from the dead. Because resurrected you will be. All right, so we're going to take a look at this just in two parts, two-part sentence. We're going to look at it uh, phrase by phrase. First, all will rise. Let's look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people, will rise up. There will be a time of distress such as never has occurred since the nation came into being until that time. But at that time, all your people who are found written in the book will escape. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. Those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. All right, just to remind you now, when we left off, we'll stop there. When we left off at the end of chapter 11, the king of the north was threatening Jerusalem. But the promise there in the the final verse of chapter 11 is that he will meet his end with no one to help him. And and we saw last week that that this promise was, was kind of partially fulfilled with Antiochus IV Epiphanes in in or around 164 BC. It, It was partially fulfilled when the Roman general Titus uh, destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. But but we also saw last week that that ultimately that promise that he will meet his end with no one to help him, ultimately that points forward to the person that Paul calls the the man of lawlessness in his letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, It it points forward to the beast in Revelation 13, who who seeks to destroy God's people once and for all. Daniel now sees, as chapter 12 opens, how the Antichrist meets his end. We're we're told there in in verse one, Michael. Now, Michael, this is the same angel that showed up back in chapter 10 that helped the other angel overcome the opposition of the prince of Persia so they could get the message to Daniel. That same angel will rise up He's described as the the great prince who stands watch over your people. We we thought about this last week, how how it seems that there are angelic and demonic forces, but behind world events, behind nations and powers. And and here we learn that, that God's people have a particular angel 
assigned to them, looking out for them, standing watch over them. And, and, and we're told that, that he will rise up. It, it may be that, that what we're seeing there is, is what, what we see in Revelation 12, uh, uh, Michael fighting against the dragon, Satan. It may, it may be that it's referring to something else. Whatever it is, we're told that despite a time of severe distress, such as never happened before, all of God's people found written in the book will escape. You see that there at the end of verse one. So when's this gonna happen? Well, we know that the the Maccabean revolt was, was successful. And so to the extent that this is looking forward to Antiochus IV Epiphanes, maybe, maybe the Maccabean revolt where, where they threw him off and, and a Jewish king was again put on the throne, the Hasmonean dynasty. Maybe that's the fulfillment. But, but that can't be the final fulfillment. Maybe we, we look forward to the... the, the um, the, the, the way it's, it's fulfilled with, with Titus, the, the Roman general, who, who overthrew Jerusalem and desecrated the temple in 70 AD. We, we know that Jesus, thinking about these verses from Daniel, warned his disciples. We, we've read this several times, but just again, Matthew 24 in verses 15 to 18, uh, Jesus says, look, when you see these things happening, when you see the abomination that causes desolation set up in the temple, when you see these things, then, then he says, those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down to get things out of his house and a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. And, and, and we know actually that from history that the early Christians remembered Jesus' warning. That they understood when they saw those things happening, oh, hey, Jesus warned us about this. And Josephus and others tell us, just as historians, that when the Romans laid siege to Jerusalem in 70 AD, there was nary a Christian in the city. They had all remembered Jesus' warning and fled in advance. And so were saved. They all escaped. But that can't be the final fulfillment either. That can't be what this is finally looking towards. Why do I say that? Well, I say that because of the next verse. The fulfillment of this rescue is described as a bodily resurrection of everyone. Verse 2, many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life, and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. All will rise. On the last day, every single person who's ever lived will be resurrected. But, but on that day, there's going to be a division. Some will awake to what Daniel here says is eternal life. Others will awake to disgrace and eternal contempt. Friends, the, the ultimate rescue of God's people, the, the, the rescue that they're, that they're longing for, that, that, that we're looking for, the ultimate rescue of God's people is judgment day. It's judgment day. 
John described it in Revelation 20. We, we heard it read earlier. Uh, let's see if I can find my bulletin. Oh, there it is. Yeah, so we, we heard it read earlier. And, and if you look at John chapter 20, you can see that, oh, he, he's actually writing, drawing on some of the imagery from Daniel chapter 12, the, the books being open, the, the names of those being found in the book of life. The promise and hope of biblical religion, of Christianity, is not that somehow, someday, we will escape from evil to a place where it can't touch us anymore. No, no, the, the promise, the hope of Christianity is that all wickedness, all evil, all injustice will one day be judged. It will be held to account and punished. I want you to just think about that for a minute. And I want you to think about it in terms of your own life. Every wrong that has ever been committed against you, answered and judged. Every wrong that has ever been committed against someone that you love, answered and judged. I mean, how often do we go through this life, right, frustrated? Frustrated by the miscarriage of justice. Frustrated by the lack of justice. We're, we're wounded by, by sins against us, by, by, by people wronging us. Oh, and sure, it may not rise to the level of a, of a crime that can be prosecuted in a court of law, but it's real nonetheless. We're wounded by it, and then we're wounded again because there's no one to hold them account. There's no, there's no answer to the wrongdoing. There's no answer to the original wound. I know you feel that. I feel that. The hope of Christianity is that that feeling, that that sense of injustice will not last. We're not just escaping to a place where evil can't touch us. No, no. God promises a new creation. And on day one of that new creation is judgment day. The day that every evil will be answered and judged at the bar of God's perfect justice. And that will be a good day. You know, this is why justice in this life matters. It's why we as Christians should actually care about things like good policing, and due process and, and, and the integrity of our courts. The desire for justice is a good desire. The, the desire for, for justice is, is evidence 
that, that we are created in the image of God because God is just. And God's justice is always an expression of love, of his love. Right? right. Justice or, or righteousness, the two words are very similar, is, is being in right relationship with people. It's, it's making sure that everyone gets exactly what they are due from me. If I'm in a righteous relationship with you, it means that you are getting from me exactly what you're due from me. And you know what the law of God says you're due from me? Love. We're to love our neighbors. This is why Christians have always been so concerned about justice for others, especially justice for those who are, who are powerless, who are at the margins, who are most likely to be denied justice in this life. It's why Christians were so involved in the abolitionist movement. It's why many Christians were involved in the civil rights movement. It's why Christians today are involved in the pro-life movement in every single case, concerned out of love to see justice done for those who cannot seek it themselves, who are being denied it. We as Christians should be most concerned about good justice in this life because justice is Love expressed. God is love. And because he is love, he will not ignore evil. He will hold it to account. He will give it the penalty that it is due. And we should be concerned about that as well. If, if, uh, if, if this kind of issue, this kind, this kind of thinking has got you thinking, you'd like to explore this more, I want to recommend a book to you guys. It's just come out. It's called Reforming Criminal Justice, A Christian Proposal. It's written by a man named Matthew Martins, Matt Martins. He's a, a friend of mine. He's a, a lawyer uh, and a, uh, a seminary trained theologian. Uh, it's not on our bookstall yet. It's just come out. It's not in our library. I promise it will be. I would really like to challenge some of you who are interested in these things to make a point of reading this early next year. Or maybe take it, take it up over Christmas break if you've got some extra time. But we as Christians need to think more Christianly and less politically about matters of justice. Because justice gets at the very heart of who God is as a God of love. Now, even as I say that, I recognize that this creates a problem for us, right? We long for justice. We want justice to be done. We especially want justice for those who cannot get it. And, and yet we know where we stand too, right? We know deep down in our hearts that we stand guilty at the bar of God's justice. It's not just that we've been sinned against, it's that we are sinners. We are wrongdoers. And so, so how is it then that anyone 
can have their, their name written in the book and, and so escape. How, how is it that, that Michael, one of God's holy, pure angels, will, will be able to justly rescue anyone at the end? Friends, the answer is the good news of the gospel. The, the reason that Michael can stand watch to rescue God's people on the last day is that God has already kept watch over his people. And it really began at Christmas some 2,000 years ago. Luke tells us that the, well, the, the, the language of, of keeping watch is, is the language of shepherds. It's what shepherds do. Luke tells us that, that there were shepherds keeping watch at night over their flock one evening outside of Bethlehem. They were guarding them. They were keeping them safe. That's what shepherds do. And then all of a sudden, like this, this angel shows up and we're not told the angel's name. We've, we've met a few here in Daniel. Was it Gabriel? Was it, was it Michael? We, we don't know. We're not told. What we know is what the angel said to them. The angel in Luke chapter two, verse eight says to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. What's going on with this angelic announcement? What's going on is that the Lord is keeping his promise, keeping his promise to watch over his people, to keep watch and stand watch over them, to save them from their sins and to rescue them from the judgment that they deserved. Like those shepherds, the Lord that night was being a shepherd to his people. How was he doing it? The Lord was keeping watch over his people by sending his son to, to be born of the Virgin Mary, to take on our flesh, to live the life that we should have lived, but have not lived and then to die the death that we deserve, but cannot bear. On the cross, Jesus Christ stood at the bar of God's justice. And he stood there not for his own sins, but for ours, bearing in his person all of our guilt there at the bar of God's justice. And there, he heard the sentence. He received our sentence in our place. He died under the wrath of God, a judicial wrath, a punishing wrath. Oh, but friends, the good news is that Jesus was not like us. He had no sin. And in fact, is God in the flesh. His life was of such value and of such worth that he was able there on the cross to absorb all of that wrath and exhaust it. It's like he was given the longest life penalty you could ever imagine, life after life after life after life. But because of the superior character of his life, he was able to complete the sentence. Like nobody ever completes their life sentence, they just die. Oh, but Jesus was able to exhaust all of it. He died, he was buried, but God vindicated him. 
And three days later, he raised him from the dead so that all of us, any of us who repent of our sins and put our trust in him need not experience what what John in Revelation 20 calls the, the second death, but instead we'll find that our name has been written in the book of life and we will be raised with him to eternal life on the last day. This is the good news of the gospel. And what you need to understand if you are not a Christian is that you will be resurrected on the last day. Death is not the end. What what, what the Bible simply calls the the, the first death. The, The death of your body is not the end of you. You will be raised. I don't know when that's going to happen. But, but the question that the Bible's concerned with is how? How will you be raised? Will you be raised to stand before God's bar representing yourself? And so to be condemned to eternal disgrace and contempt, the judgment of God against your sin? Or will you be raised? to stand before God's bar of justice represented by Jesus Christ. And so in him and vindicated with him to eternal life. That's the question, friend. Who is gonna represent you before God's justice on the last day? You will be represented by someone, either yourself or by Jesus. Today is the day to get ready for that day. Today is the day to engage Christ as your your solicitor, as as your lawyer, as the one who will represent you before God. Don't put off that day. Don't say, oh, I'll, I'll get around to engaging Jesus later. You know, I'm sure Jesus will represent me, but I'm just not ready for him to do that yet. No. Because you don't know. You don't know when. You don't know what's going to happen when you walk out the door today. I'm kind of calling you to be a crazy prepper. Prepare today for the day after you die. Make, Make sure today by turning from your sins and putting your faith in Christ that it will be Christ representing you before God and not you yourself. Now, Daniel's vision goes on. And in verse three, he points out that those who awake to eternal life will shine like the bright expanse of heavens, like like the stars forever and ever. It's a striking image. Because what, what that imagery is doing is it's telling us something about the quality of eternal life. Eternal life is not just this life that lasts a long time. That would be hell. No, it's a different kind of life altogether. It's it's a life that is characterized by by shining brightness. I mean, this this image of shining like stars is the imagery of of holiness and and purity. Set against the night sky, stars are are like like diamonds in their brilliance. I mean, if any of you have ever gone to buy jewelry, I remember going to buy my wife's engagement ring. We weren't married then, uh, but I was getting ready. I wanted to pop the question. I went to this diamond broker guy in Boston and he had all these diamonds. They were, in the, they were just loose. They were in these envelopes. 
And uh, he would take them out one by one, and he had this incredibly dark piece, like black as midnight, black piece of felt. And he would put the diamond against that black felt, and it would just sparkle, right? It would just pop in its brilliance. This is what Daniel sees for those whose names are written in the book, for those who escape the judgment. Christian, you who are so aware of your own impurity, of your own weakness, of your own failings, nothing of your impurity will be present on that day. Not even the smallest hint, not even the faintest memory, no shame. No, no shadow. Your life on that day is going to just be the brilliance of pure starlight. One of my sons has a telescope, and we often go out in the backyard to, to look at stars in the night sky. And stars, just to the naked eye, they kind of pop, right, against, against the darkness of the night sky. Oh, but you, 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 you bring one into view in a, in a telescope? And it just is like more. Like you can't really, you know, make out details of the star. But it just gets brighter and, and, and more sparkly. The, the, the contrast kind of takes your breath away as you stare at it through the telescope. I don't know what that's going to be like for us. But that is your future, Christian a life forever that shines like the stars, that, that, that is just brilliant in its holiness and its purity. I don't think we think about that enough. We, we get so discouraged. We get, we get down in the depths. Oh no, we need to remember what it is that Christ has done for us a rescue not just from the wickedness that's been done against us, but a rescue from all the wickedness that is in us. And it will be no more. Now, here's the thing. The good news of the gospel for Christians is that even as we look forward to that future day, something of that day is already here. Christians are are already shining. The, the, the resurrection that is promised for our bodies in, in Daniel chapter 12, verses two and three, that resurrection for Christians has already happened to your soul, to your spirit. Listen, listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse 13. He's just been reflecting on on what Christ did for us as he humbled himself to the cross and then was, was resurrected and is now sitting at the right hand of God, highly exalted. And so, and so he says, in light of that, therefore, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, 
so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Christian, he's talking about you. You you were dead in your sins, but, but now God is at work in you. He's made you alive with Christ. The the resurrection life that's being talked about in Daniel 12 is already a reality in your life. This is the first resurrection that John talks about earlier in Revelation chapter 20. And what that means, Christian, is that today you are already shining like stars in the world. I know you don't think of your life that way, but this is what Paul says about you. You are shining like stars in a dark and crooked world. And Christian, you should do that more and more. God is at work in you. You are alive with resurrection life, the life of heaven itself. This isn't something that you're waiting for someday. No, it's something that's already operative in you if you are in Christ. So, Christian, put to death the grumbling. Put to death the arguing. Put to death whatever is crooked and perverse in your life. You are called to shine in this world right now because resurrection life is coursing through your veins which means you are able to shine like stars right now. No, not perfectly. Not as much as you will someday. But truly, already. Do do not believe the enemy's lie that you just can't turn away from those sins, that that, that they're just habits that you're stuck with, that that there's nothing you can do. You're so weak and powerful. No, that's a lie from the enemy. You have been given life, the life of heaven. Live in it. Know the power that comes from God himself at work in you to shine like stars in a dark world. All will rise. Some to eternal life, and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. But second, only the wise will shine. Only the wise will shine. We've considered what it means to shine. So who are the wise? Well, let's pick it up with verse four. But you, Daniel, keep these words secret and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will roam about and knowledge will increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and two others were standing there, one on this bank of the river and one on the other. One of them said to the man dressed in linen, who was above the water of the river, how long until the end of these wondrous things? Then I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river. He raised both his hands toward heaven and swore by him who lives eternally that it would be for a time, times and half a time. When the power of the holy people is shattered, all these things will be completed. I heard, but did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? He said, go on your way, Daniel, for the words are secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand. 
But those who have insight will understand. From the time the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Happy is the one who waits for and reaches 1,335 days. But as for you, go on your way to the end. You will rest, and then you will stand to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. All right, Daniel's told to seal up the words of this book, this book of visions that he's received until the time of the end there in verse four. And then suddenly, like two more angels appear, one on each bank of the Tigris River. And one of them asks the first man, the man that he saw at the beginning of his vision back in chapter 10, dressed in linen up above the river. One of those angels asks the man in linen, how long until the end? You see that there in verse six. And the answer that he's given is one we've seen before. And the, and the angel raises both hands, swearing by God himself, this is true. You can, you can take this to the bank. Here's your answer. A time, times, and half a time. Yeah, we've heard that before. Now he adds a little bit to it. He says also when the power of the holy people has been shattered. So, so what does he tell him? How long? How long, is it, how long until the end? When, when, when's it gonna happen? A time, times, and half a time. A short, definite period of time. Not, not, a, not a full period of time, not seven times. Not, not a complete time, but like half, half a time. It really is confirming what we saw in the vision in verse one, right? There, there's gonna be suffering and distress. The power of God's people are gonna be shattered. It will seem like all is lost. And then, cut short, all of a sudden, the end, resurrection. Yeah, but Daniel still doesn't understand, verse eight. So he asks the same question, sort of a different way. How's this gonna work out? Can you just tell me the outcome? I mean, you can imagine how he feels, right? He's, he's got to be over 80 years old. He's been, he's been at this a long time. The, the exiles have been back in Jerusalem for a few years now, and things are not going well. Word has come back. He, he, just, he just wants to know, look, are we ever really going to get home from Babylon? You, you don't have to tell me when. Can, can you just tell me that it's all gonna work out okay. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you just wanna know that the struggle of your life is going to have a happy ending. Or the struggle of your kid's life. Or your grandkid's life. I can relate. I, I, I want the answer to the question that Daniel's asking. But Daniel isn't given an answer. You see that there in verse nine, he's told a second time that the words are secret and sealed until the time of the end. We, we saw back in, in verse four, knowledge is gonna need to increase before these words make sense to anyone. And here's the beauty of where we stand. Knowledge has increased. We know what Daniel did not know, could not know. We know that the Messiah has come. We, we know that with his death and his resurrection, the, the last final week of history has begun. We know that pr probably we're in the second half of that week. 
The time is short. We also know that while we wait for Christ's return, the church is gonna suffer much persecution, even as we shine like stars in a dark world. But here's what we don't know. Like Daniel, we don't know how long. We don't know how long this last half week is gonna be. We don't know how long until Christ returns. And so the answer that Daniel is given is an answer that we need to. He's told there that while he waits, many will be purified. You see that there in verse 10, that same language from chapter 11, many will be purified, cleansed, and refined. So while you wait, there's gonna be much refinement. While you wait, the wicked are gonna go on and continue to be wicked. The wicked are gonna wicked. That's just what they're gonna do. And they're not gonna understand what God's doing in the world. And yet while you wait, the wise, those who have insight, which is really just another word for the wise, they will understand. What will they understand? Well, we're told there in verse 11 that the time between the desolation of the temple and the end is 1,290 days or three and a half years if you use a lunar calendar, like they did. A time, times, and half a time. A short, definite, but not full, like a, a shortened time. And so what do the wise do? They persevere. They endure. You see that there. In verse 12, happy is the one who waits for and reaches 1,335 days. So they wait and reach not 1,290 days, but 1,335 days. 45 days more. A, a, a month and a half extra. What's up with that? It's, it, that number doesn't actually get repeated, like, as far as I can tell, anywhere else in the Bible. Like, what, what's, what's up with that? I think this is what's up with that. The, the angel is telling Daniel something very similar to what my coach used to tell me. I was a swimmer, and I did long distances. And the tendency, as you get towards the end of that race and the wall is coming up is to just sort of glide in. And my coach would say to me, no, 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 no. No, you swim hard and you slam into that wall. You persevere in this race to the very end. Not just to where the end's in sight, not just to where you're, you're, you're close. I, I think it's the same with runners, right? You sprint through the finish line. You don't jog. You don't coast. No, you're pressing to the very end, like, like an extra 45 days. This is what the wise do. They don't give up early. They don't start coasting. They don't flag in their hope. They don't tucker out just before it's over. No, they keep going as if they're even 44 45 more days to go. 
they keep running the race. Friend, the, the grand distinguishing mark of God's people is that we persevere. We, we fight the good fight of faith until the very end. Here's how our statement of faith here in our church puts it. We believe real believers are those who endure to the end. That their persevering attachment to Christ is the chief mark which distinguishes them from superficial professors. That God's special providence watches over their welfare and that they are kept by the power of God through faith to eternal salvation. The chief mark that distinguishes us is that we persevere in our attachment to Christ. Are you persevering? You know, maybe you grew up in the church and, and you prayed a prayer a long time ago. Haven't really thought about it much since. Maybe, maybe you, you were baptized as a kid, but, but now that seems like a, a distant memory. Maybe you professed faith at one point, they're no longer really walking very close with Jesus. You've, you've begun to kind of make friends with the world, you know, just to go along, to get along, to get along, to go along. Maybe you call yourself a Christian, but functionally no one could tell by looking at your life. Friend, I fear for you because if that's you, you need to know that's not perseverance. That's presumption. That's thinking that something that I did a while ago will take care of it, and now I can go my way. But that's not what saving faith looks like. That's not the way of wisdom. The wise understand that, that God is keeping watch over his people, and so they persevere in faith. They continue to demonstrate their faith through their obedience. You know, Jesus drew on Daniel to talk and, and kind of prophesy about, about the end and eventually about his return. And after he had given all these prophecies in, in Matthew 24, really drawing on the language of Daniel 12, he, he tells this parable. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed, happy, is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says in his heart, my master is delayed and starts to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him. And at an hour he does not know, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, wisdom is not knowing when Jesus is coming back. Wisdom is knowing that he is coming back. And so living every day ready for his return. Christian God is standing watch over you like a good shepherd. He's the one who is at work in you, 
to will and to work according to his good purposes, as Paul put it in Philippians chapter two. He is the one who is keeping you. He gave his son for you. He put his spirit in you. So keep going. Keep going. Daniel has shown us how to be at home in Babylon. But he's also reminded us how to get home from Babylon. Because that's what we really want. We want to get to that day. That day when all rise and some rise to eternal life. Getting to that day isn't easy. It's probably gonna take longer than any of us expect. But if we're wise, we know that home is where we're headed. If we're willing to wait and reach the very end. You know, Daniel's given great assurance there at the very end. In the last verse, he's told, go on your way to the end. And he is assured of his own resurrection. He's told that on that last day, he will stand and receive his allotted inheritance at the end of days. Oh, friends, in Christ, we have that same assurance. All will rise, but only the wise will shine. And the wise are all those who persevere in Christ. And friends, that's good news. So the question is not, are you prepared to die? The question is, are you prepared to be raised from the dead? Let's pray. Let me just take a moment. Confess to the Lord maybe those things that that would tempt you to not persevere in faith or, or maybe not even put faith in Christ in the first place. And ask for the wisdom to be found in Christ and to persevere in him. Lord God, we confess that you have conquered death, that that you have gotten up from the dead, and so you guarantee that we will too. Lord, Lord, we pray for the wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above and by your spirit to be found in you so that on that day when we rise, we rise to life, not death. We, we, We rise to shine with you in your glory rather than stand before you in disgrace. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would do this work in us. Give us the faith that we need. 
that we might rise on the last day in you. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace.